Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Constanji Brooks Smith & Profit, where we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silberman. Sherry, you like games, right? I'm not sure where you're going with this, but Yes. And I know that you like all things labor and employment. Yep, most things labor and employment. That is true. (laughs) And all of our listeners enjoy a good laugh. So today, I combined all three, and I made up a game for us to play. It's called Never in the Workplace Have I Ever. Uh... Do we need to have a, a listener discretion is advised disclaimer? Because it sounds like a variation on that classic college drinking game. <laughs> I do not recommend or endorse drinking to play along with us today. But yes, that's the general idea. However, instead of asking you gems like if you've ever TP'd a house, thrown up on a roller coaster, or dropped your phone in the toilet, I am going to ask you and our listeners playing at home whether they've ever done or experienced various human resources and employment law scenarios. Ah, all right. To make this a good remote game, are we earning a point for each interesting scenario that we have experienced? Yes, that is the plan. All right, game on. Where should we begin? Let's start out with this one. Never in the workplace have I ever sent an email and immediately regretted it. Maybe you saw a typo right after you hit send, or you realized that you were sending it to the wrong Susan, like a DOL investigator instead of me. Or perhaps you realized that, oh, I just really shouldn't have said that. All right, I'll be first on the leaderboard. One point for me. Uh, Who hasn't? I mean, typos and I are mortal enemies, but in the employment law context, there is often a big difference between a typo and saying something snarky that will live forever in infamy because an employee has totally exhausted your patience that day. True. And it's totally not a coincidence that this is one of your soapboxes, Susan. (laughs) It's not. I've said it before and I will say it again. If you don't want to have your words blown up into 80-point font and put in front of a jury of which your grandmother is a member, then I strongly recommend you not write it or text it or send it via instant message because all of that is discoverable and all of that is likely to be discovered if and when a lawsuit is filed even if you thought you deleted the message. Hashtag, ask me how I know. Ask me if I've ever had a case turn on an instant message exchange or a handful of regrettable emails from management. You want me to ask you that because you want to match my point. Um, And I know that's a rhetorical question, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we love giving practical advice on this podcast. So here's a tip in case everyone isn't already aware of this feature. If you are using Microsoft Outlook, you can set up your email to have a short delay before the message actually gets sent. So if you see that typo or regret the harsh words you used in the next two minutes, you have time to catch it and fix it. 
It's a great feature. I like it. All right, my turn. Um, never in the workplace have I ever seen an employee lie to get out of work or to get an absence excused. Popular examples of this include everything from, <laughs> I'm sick today, boss, uh, when it's clear from social media that's not the case, or to lying about a family member dying to miss a couple of days. You know, I, I think we talked about this a little bit in our Friday and Monday Leave Act episodes, but for our listeners who may have missed them, occasionally employees lie. I know this is disturbing and shocking news, but it happens. Sometimes they even lie under oath. What do you advise in this situation, Sherry? <laughs> you know, this is one of those classic it depends situations. Did they lie to you about being sick that morning and you saw them out at a club the next day? I mean, really, they could have felt better by then. So that's not necessarily proof of a lie. And you may not have to need to do anything about that one. However, that's different from someone saying they had the stomach flu and then another employee brings you pictures of them at the beach an hour later. Yeah, you know, reasonable minds could certainly differ in these situations. But for me, if I have investigated and determined that an employee lied to me and I can prove it, then I'm probably going to terminate that employee. If I can't trust you with something as simple as why you're not at work today, then I got to tell you, I have reservations about trusting you to follow food safety procedures or to tell me what really happened with a patient who's taken a turn for the worse. Have you seen this happen, Susan? Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those if I had a nickel categories. Um, and a particularly egregious example comes to mind for me. We were investigating a charge of discrimination, and after an extensive interview, we had a manager sign an affidavit regarding some of the specific statements that were alleged in the charge in order to defend the company. So under oath, this guy affirms that, nope, never said anything like that. In fact, I would never say such a thing. Yeah, but at the mediation, it comes out that the former employee has recordings of him. And he did say that. He does, in fact, talk like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm betting that did not go over well with the client. It did not. The company was was really upset about it. Um, but ultimately, this guy lost a 10-plus year career with the company because he lied under oath about something that was really important. So how could they trust him moving forward? Yeah, I can't say I disagree. All right, what's next? What about this one, Sherry? Never in the workplace have I ever wondered why employee A got in a relationship with employee B. I will confess out of the gate that sometimes I find myself asking this question in cases where an employee ends up complaining about sexual harassment following a consensual relationship, or in one very memorable case I had years ago, alleged that employee B's other romantic connection illicitly looked up private information about employee A and told employee B about it in violation of the law. Wait, so there was a love triangle where someone dug up dirt on their competition to try to edge them out? 
I mean, I think that, <laughs> yep. gets, that gets a point for sure. You know, and I, I'm not trying to be mean here, but I clearly remember deposing the guy who had these two nice women involved with him. And I was like, I will never understand why either one of these women went for you, ever. <laughs> All right. So our listeners may not have experienced exactly that scenario described. It was a fun one. Um, but workplace romance is something I bet most HR practitioners and employment lawyers have seen. The issues that arise when love turns sour is one of the reasons why companies often prohibit romantic relationships at work or set strict guidelines on them. Some companies even have participants sign a love contract in these situations. I think you should probably explain that one, Sherry. (laughs) Yeah. It's usually the reaction I get when I mention this concept. Uh, So let's say romance is budding in the workplace and the company wants to do something to limit liability, but they don't want to reassign or terminate one of the individuals. So there's an option to have the dating party sign a contract that states the relationship is consensual. They'll acknowledge they're aware of the company's policies on harassment. And then it'll talk about what these employees need to do should the relationship go south. Yeah, well, and of course, it goes without saying that personnel files containing confidential information um, cannot, you know, be shared with random people or significant others, even if you're trying to edge out the competition. (laughs) I think that's fair, Susan. All right, I have another scenario for you. Never in the workplace have I ever had to talk to or confront a supervisor or a C-suite executive about something he or she was doing wrong or a policy that he or she was violating. Oh, man. That one is not funny. No, not at all. Handling a situation involving allegations of bad behavior or policy violations made by someone who outranks you is never easy. And depending on what the scenario involves, you may need to conduct an investigation In situations where you report to the alleged bad actor, you may want to or need to hire an outside consultant or an attorney to conduct that investigation to avoid the appearance of bias. Yep. I've seen that happen. Um, If you or your outside ally conclude that something improper or that breaches policy has happened, then you are faced with yet another secondary awkward situation. How do you take appropriate prompt remedial action? Um, Obviously, these situations are very fact-specific, but depending on the level of bad actor, that's a situation that you may end up needing to talk to the board about, or you may need to find another ally who can help you ensure that the appropriate action does take place. This is one of those issues that the hashtag MeToo movement highlighted. Even employees at the highest level of a company are not and should not be insulated from the consequences of unacceptable behavior, be that sexual harassment or something else. Agreed. All right. What about this one, Sherry? Never in the workplace have I ever caught someone or had to discipline an employee for doing something embarrassing, awkward, and maybe against company policy. Examples of this might include interrupting an employee engaging in an intimate moment with another employee. The ever 
popular copying of one's backside, uh, finding porn downloaded to a company computer, or barging in on someone pumping breast milk? Um, me personally, I only work with the finest of coworkers. <laughs> True statement. <laughs> Uh, have I ever received a call from a client with those types of issues? You bet. Have I worked in those places in the past before becoming an attorney? Uh-huh. Uh, we need to break down and separate those examples you provided. Um, never have I ever had a client who specifically prohibited butt copying in the employee handbook. <laughs> but it's obviously unprofessional, inappropriate, and demonstrates poor judgment. <laughs> Agreed. And this is where the common sense has to kick in, right? As we've said before on the show, your handbook generally should not be hundreds of pages long. Thus, you simply cannot list every conceivable bad decision an employee could ever make. In this scenario, I would feel totally comfortable with discipline, disciplining an employee for this behavior, even if there is absolutely nothing said specifically about it in the handbook. You have to stop laughing first and then you can move on to the discipline. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I'm sure the handbook does have something about working during working hours, you know, general professionalism or appropriate attire, which most people would agree involves wearing some kind of pants or skirt or clothing. You know, even if you're on Zoom, that's always a good idea too. <laughs> right. Um, I agree. I think it's commonly known and widely accepted that yes, you should you should wear clothing. All right, I'm gonna we're, we're gonna move on so you can stop laughing now. Um, the same goes for any type of you know romantic activity at work, even if dating in the workplace is not specifically prohibited by policy. And I think every employer I've ever worked with had a policy prohibiting the use of company equipment for something like you know accessing or storing pornography, which of course. We do recommend. We recommend it's the a policy. Good policy. The policy, right? <laughs> Not the pornography, just to be clear. I realize the way I said that. Yeah. Thank you for the clarity. Yeah. So we do think that the policy should have language about there being no expectation of privacy for what happens on company time and equipment, too, so that you can more easily investigate if you think someone is misusing company equipment. Agreed. But as to the final example you gave, expressing breast milk is, of course, in a totally different category than the other examples. It is a statutorily protected activity and definitely not one that should be prohibited by your policy. Uh, however, it is an activity that can be awkward to walk in on. True statement. But hence the language in the Affordable Care Act about employers needing to provide a place other than a bathroom that is shielded from view and free from intrusion from coworkers and the public, which may be used by the employee to express breast milk. And of course, some states have greater protections uh, beyond those offered in the Fair Labor Standards Act. So yeah, while that one might be awkward, it is definitely not prohibited by policy. So what's your answer to this one, Susan? <laughs> I do have personal experience here. So long, long ago, before I joined Constangi in a galaxy far, far away, I had an older boss who had an entire conversation with me while kicked back in his office chair, but all the while 
there was a truly massive hole in his pants where the seam sewing the two legs together had failed. Uh, Talk about wardrobe malfunction, (laughs) which begs the question, did you you say something or does it draw attention to the fact that your eyes were there? Oh, I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Believe me, it was impossible to miss. (laughs) I cannot express how awkward and traumatic it was. I was super young and this was the big boss, so I said nothing to him about it. And I spent the meeting staring very hard at his face or the ceiling. (laughs) Afterward, I begged his assistant to go tell him, but she wouldn't do it either. Obviously, all of that occurred before I started practicing employment law full-time and lost many of those refined and delicate sensibilities. (laughs) All right. I think that gets a point. I think it deserves two. We can award extra points depending on the level of trauma experienced, right? Eh, Why not? I mean, you made up the game. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we could tally this up, Sherry, but I think everyone is a winner today. I agree. Sure. Uh, I want to play this on a future episode. So I wonder if any of our listeners would have gotten more points than we did. And if so, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at workandplay at constangi.com, spell out the word and, or find Constangi on Twitter or Facebook and let us know. I am in. Please share some of your own horrifying stories while you're at it. Misery loves company after all. And, and while we're at it, do you want to share if you've ever TP'd a house, thrown up on a roller coaster, or dropped your phone in the toilet, Sherry? Uh, yeah, at least one of those, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thanks for joining me today, Sherry. My pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to make our typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be wonderful if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode. 